today. I am here to give you the assurance that I have not forgotten you. If we want to see the new evangelization become more than just jargon, if we want to see it grow legs and gain traction and change the world, we have got to take seriously our responsibilities as husbands and fathers and especially as sons of God. I want to propose to you then that something that our world is desperately in need of in the midst of this crisis is Catholic Christian masculinity. If you want to be a good father, then bring your children to confession with you. I can't get there unless I become a man of ascesis, a man of asceticism, a man of training. A man not doing penance, a man not disciplined, he's not a man. You guys have upped your game. You know what, guys, I gotta say, I, I love this the concept of man show. Warning, the Catholic man show is about to begin. Welcome to the Catholic Man Show. The day of the Catholic Man Show camp out. It's going to be a wet one. <laughs> but, that, but that's why it's the Catholic Man Show camp out. Right. right. No wussing, no complaining. We're not Girl Scouts here. No. Yeah, because the, the thing is, when we get to the camp out, the first thing everybody's going to talk about is... It's raining. It's like, yep, let's get let's get this out of the way. It is <laughs> raining. Things are wet. Let's be men. Yeah. Now get over it. Yeah. Now let's move on. I uh, hit a milestone today. Nice. I like milestones. Got in my car to go to the gym. Oh, did you hit it? I did it. Yes. And you. you I looked down. Looked down. I've been nice. I've been watching. Didn't want to miss it. <laughs> and I was like, all right, it's coming up. I thought, oh, maybe it'll happen on the way to the campout. And then I realized, no, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come before the camp out. So I get in my car. I look down at the odometer. Nine, 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 nine. Wow. 99,999. I was like, oh, like, I was worried. Like, oh, I almost missed it because I always miss it, you know? <laughs> um, but I, I did it today. Nice. It happened. How did it feel? Felt good. So wait, have you already done feats of strength this morning? Does hitting 100,000 miles on your car count as a feat of strength? Oh, and I also did work out. So, yes. <laughs> yes. I, I see what you're asking. Yes, I did. Thank you. <laughs> it felt good. That is kind really of. impressive. It was a weekday, really. Some days some days you have good days. Some days you're just a, a, you kind of it, a baby. You do it regardless of your feeling. Right. Exactly. Like we, your prayer life. Mm-hmm. We learned that last time. Yeah. Yeah. So, so last Everybody was on the bench press today. I don't get it. Like it's a Thursday. Everybody knows Monday is chest day. It's like universal chest day for men is Monday. It's, you know, it's like everybody wants to start on their favorite day. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what the what the deal was with that, mm-hmm. but it was, threw off my routine. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry. I like routines. Okay. <laughs> but it gave you something to offer up. It did. It did. So last night we recorded with David Bate. We didn't introduce you. I'm sorry. David Bates. Oh, yeah. The wrestler, British guy here is David Bates. Uh, Restless Pilgrim. Cheers. Oh, cheers. Yeah, cheers. Coffee mugs this morning. 
I'm not telling you what's in my, my coffee mug. <laughs> it smells of, funny. It's none of your business is really what it is. Um, what, but What do you have in your coffee mug? How, how come whatever you have, <laughs> do I have what you have? <laughs> I don't know. Holding out on me, huh? Maybe. Uh, so last night we were recorded with, with David Bates. He, uh, he's an expert in C.S. Lewis and has a podcast called Pints with Jack. And we were talking about screw tape letters. And at the end of it, we were all exhausted. David had been on like two hours of sleep in the last 48 hours. Yeah. You and I had been... Y- you were really a... A trooper. I thought you did great. Yeah. Thank you. We yeah. were running on fumes. And so- <laughs> it's called coffee, Dave. Yeah. yeah. Lots and lots, lots of coffee. Lots of, yeah. <laughs> Just keep, when you think you've had enough, just keep going <laughs> right. with the coffee. Uh, and so so we realized at the end, we were going to do two episodes back to back, and we were all just pretty mentally drained. So we said, let's let's stop, and we'll we'll pick up tomorrow morning. So mm-hmm. here we are. And I, when we were reflected on stopping, or after we stopped and we reflected on, on the episode, we realized that we really had a lot more we could have <coughs> discussed about... Screw tape letters. So it's, it's an amazing book with lots of lot, a lot of really real real gems in it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that we're not going to do a segmented show today. If you if you're listening to this for the first time, go back. Also, there's uh, the first podcast the or the podcast right before this, um, kind of will start the the topic off. But we're just going to continue the conversation without segments or anything like that this morning. Is that okay with you, Dave? Very good. And you, Dave. Yeah, and if anybody's looking for a Catholic man gear, one thing that you must have in your life is an English friend. Does that seem fair? Yeah. That seems very fair. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad you're a part. <laughs> but Dave has another English friend, so. I do. You do? Gerald. He's... Oh, he's my friend too. I, I forgot. Oh, yeah. Some friend, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that guy. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, Gerald. <laughs> Good point, actually. Yeah, that's that's that's, that's on me. That's uh, on me. Gerald, I need to work on our friendship. I apologize. Yeah, both uh, both of my British friends, in my experience, every British person is person is Catholic. Wow. Yeah, we're we're, we're really skewing the chart for you. Anecdotal evidence suggests hundred <laughs> percent Catholicism over there in Britain. I wish small sample yeah. size. And everybody knows anecdotal evidence is the best. Yeah, it's the most irrefutable, undisputable. Indisputable? Either indisputable. Mm, see, that's why you need a British friend. Because <laughs> words are hard, okay? <laughs> so where where do you want to pick up where we, um, on the conversation with screw tape letters? Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about church, because screw tape okay. spends quite a while talking about church. And just in case you missed the previous episode... Or you've forgotten. Maybe maybe you're one of those crazy people that just doesn't listen to all of your podcasts as soon as they come out. The Screwtape Letters, it was written by C.S. Lewis. It is a fictional correspondence between a senior demon and a junior demon, between Screwtape and Wormwood. And Wormwood is uh, a tempter for uh, a guy who's become a Christian. He calls him the patient. And his uncle, Screwtape, is writing to him, giving him advice on how to tempt this guy to hell. And... One of the topics that Screwtape touches on is the church. And he writes to his nephew that the church can be a real ally for us. And he makes it very clear. I'm, I'm not talking about the church spread throughout, throughout history in heaven, you know, more fierce than an army with banners. Not that church. What I'm thinking of is the local parish. And he, and the he's, physical church. The, like, the, the physical local parish where your patient yeah. goes on Sundays. The fleshy version of it, yeah. Exactly. 
Because that's the weakest version. Yeah, full of sinners. Yeah. <laughs> people like me. Yeah. And he tells Wormwood to really encourage in the in the patient uh, both disappointment with the church to expect something far greater and grander and really non-existent. He actually says, you want to have in his mind the idea of you know men in togas. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but also with regards to their holiness and sinfulness, he says, never let the patient ever, ever think that uh, maybe he's not that amazing either. Just let him concentrate on the people around him and how they're disappointing him. Even if it's just as simple as that they sing off key or they have squeaky shoes. Uh, or, you know, it could be some, something greater, some obvious sin that they have. But he really wants him to foster that uh, that disappointment with the people that are around him. Mm-hmm. I think this is a very real temptation, especially for new converts, mm-hmm. uh, because they they get this seal, you know, they come into the church, they love it. It changes their life. And it's all of these great things are so obvious to them. And they will often get this notion in their head of, you know, when they're talking about the infallibility of the church and how like, oh, like it's never going to let you down. <laughs> and the the church won't let, does not, Jesus Christ will never let you down. And he mm-hmm. stands at the head of the church, but the people in the church, of course, will let you down, you know? Um, and so it's just such an important thing to keep in mind. I'm glad that he includes this as a temptation in the book because, or even for, um, not even just for new Catholics, uh, but I know that there was a lot of people, just frankly, uh, once Francis became Pope, who started to be disillusioned mm. with, uh, with with the church because in their mind, the Pope cannot be anything less than perfect, you know, and um, he's infallible, right? It's like, well, yes, when he is exercising, you know, that infallibility, which is actually very, almost never, you know, some it's only sometimes, but mm-hmm. um, it's... That's a good, good temptation to make sure we have set in our mind, I think. Mm. Yeah, I think that if, if they're playing it out in like real life, like let's take if C.S. Lewis was like writing about or writing the screw tape letters t- today, he would be eating up the Twitter wars that's happening. Oh, yeah. The gossip that yeah. happens within the church. Catholic Twitter, the most toxic place I've ever been. Right. <laughs> no you know, kidding. There was something, somebody tweeted this the other day, and I thought it was, I thought it was a great take. And they it, it said, if you're more concerned about what's happening in Rome, and you're spending more time reading about what's happening in Rome, and not what's happening in your local parish, you're doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's so accurate, because if you, uh, you, you can only change what's happening locally. Uh, you can only change what's what's happening in your dom- your own private domestic home. What's happening in your own parish? It's the same thing with the idea of voting. You know, like uh, if you want to make a change in the in the domestic world, you you need to focus on voting locally. Yeah, uh, and that's and, where and the serving change, locally and serving mm-hmm. locally. That's so where the change is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, not. Uh, the big picture stuff because you can't change that until you change to the local. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think C.S. Lewis would be eating this up in, in screw tape letters right now. Absolutely, and uh, you definitely do see that with people that say listen to a lot of political podcasts, and they'll come back from listening to one of them and absolutely incensed at the insensitivity of the right, the craziness of the left. Yeah, and well, all you've done is just got yourself riled up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's the same if people are complaining about the the pope, the bishops. I don't get to choose any of these people. Mm-hmm. The the only soul I have any real direct control over is mine. Right, and maybe your children, maybe you know, or yeah, yeah mm-hmm. just those 
immediately surrounding you, even your friends, you know, like you could have some, some influence over them, you know, but we Dave, have to stop sinning. <laughs> stop it. Repent and believe the gospel. And when, change the camera angle. When you, when you put it that way. Okay. <laughs> I will. You just tried to stop sinning. Have yeah, you just, tried? just stop it. Have you thought about that? Just stop it. Yeah. But returning to this idea of, of the local church, it was definitely very true for me mm. because I really came to my faith at university. That was when it came alive. And I was part of a, a community called Verbum Day. That, that's not Opus Day. It's a different kind of community. But the point is, at university, I had a community of people around me. We had great teaching, times of prayer. We cared about evangelization. And then I went out and graduated and went out into the world. And then I went to my first Catholic parish as an adult. And I was utterly disillusioned. Mm. The place seemed dead. The preaching seemed insipid. I judged that place so much. And part of the problem was because I had my expectations so high. I'd spent my time in... You lived the, in this Catholic bubble. Yeah. And I'd been reading Ephesians about the glories of the church. And then I come to this ugly building because in England, all of the churches are ugly. Uh, the, the Anglicans have all the pretty ones. Oh. That is a danger <laughs> because when you say, oh, the preaching is insipid, you know what? You're right. And at the same time, you know, the a lie is not as bad as a half-truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they say half-truth is a especially sinister form of a lie because it has truth in it. So this is a dangerous temptation because... You can say, actually, the preaching is insipid. It shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Actually, the people are maybe behaving. There is some behavior during Mass that bugs you, and they shouldn't be behaving that way. I mean, that's the truth, mm-hmm. is that maybe you are, you're right in judging or assessing the situation as bad. Um, and so that is what makes it especially dangerous. Um, but we need to ma- make sure that we realize, you know, we're not here... We're not going to liturgies, or we're not going to Holy Mass so that we can all be reverent next to each other. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going for other reasons. A, you know, we're, uh, because God commanded it of us. That's a good reason. Good reason. And B, to receive Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. Mm -hmm. Okay? And the person next to you, we have communion, but like their behavior is not one of the reasons why you're there. Yeah, not to go and give the liturgy marks out of 10. Right. right, exactly. And, and uh, upon my eventual ret- return full-time to the Catholic Church, I, 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 ne- I realized that I needed to shift my attitude. Uh, Matthew Kelly, he, he suggests that whenever you go to Mass, look out for one thing. He says, just, just look out for one thing that you're going to take away and use to feed your spiritual life in that coming week and work on. And I found that when I went with that kind of attitude, when I prayed to the Holy Spirit to open my ears, open my eyes... I would always come away with something to work on. And even, even if the preaching is the most insipid, there will still be true things that I need to embrace more. Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. nothing new, but I'm, I can, I, I'm not doing it quite perfectly yet. So right. You're need, very close, though. So close, so yes. close. But I need to work on that more. And, you know, if we're focusing on the preaching, often we're going to be missing the thing that comes right before that which is the Word of God. Mm-hmm. No matter how bad the preaching is, we just had readings from the Bible, you know, a first mm-hmm. reading, a psalm, another reading, and a, and a gospel, you know, like, okay, forget about the homily if it's bad. Focus on the readings for the day. Mm-hmm. One time I went to uh, Holy Mass, and there, the, the priest there gave a dynamite homily on the Battle of Lepanto. I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. It was a great homily. Killed it. 
And then at the very end, he said, and even if you didn't like my homily, we're not here to listen to my homily. We're here to receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord. Hmm. So let us begin uh, the Eucharist. Uh, uh, well, it's the second half of the Mass. The liturgy of the, the Eucharist. Liturgy of the Eucharist. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Let's begin that. So don't, a, And that's also saying, so don't come up to me after <laughs> Mass and say if you didn't. You know, Supple at complaining. I don't want to hear your criticism. But I thought that was awesome. I mean, I, I was like, yeah, he, it was a dynamite homily, but yet he said, even if you didn't like it, it's okay. Because yeah. that's not what we're here for. Mm-hmm. Put it in perspective. Screwtape actually also talks something else about the church. He really encourages Wormwood to encourage his patient to go church shopping. And mm. as you said before, Lewis would have a field day with this today because I think it's far worse than it ever oh, was before. Oh, yeah. I mean, church shopping back then was like, was that even really a thing? You well, know, you could you could perhaps go to a different service uh, or as Lewis well, himself Lewis sometimes did. sometimes yeah. did. Uh, or, you know, you could walk a little further and go to uh, a different church mm-hmm. or maybe get in a car. But today, particularly in America, we don't think anything about driving half an hour, 45 minutes. No. So the, the amount of choice that we have is far greater. And Screwtape wants to encourage the patient to do this for a very similar reason. Uh, to to what we said before, in terms of it turns the Christian in, back into a critic. Uh, he's 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 now a connoisseur of churches, and so rather than listening to the sermon or the homily in order to be fed, he's listening to it to give it marks out of ten. Mm-hmm. Right. I want to find something that suits me, mm-hmm. not suit myself to the truth. You know, to what what I'm finding here. Yeah. So in, that's an American. Oh, it's like one of our favorite things is that we have become consumers of everything. The things that we're never, you were never able to do that with before. You know, now we have choice all over the place. Um, I mean, there's really nothing that we don't have a choice on mm-hmm. anymore where we can like, oh, I'm going biz- to, I prefer one or the other. So it's just so natural, I think, to do that the same thing when, you, when you're church shopping. People don't think about philosophically what that means when you're saying, oh, let's go here and see, and maybe we'll try the one down the street next. And it's not, it's not as common in the, in the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. It's in the Catholic church. It's just, well, this one's close. So <laughs> let's go there. And you at least always would know objectively the Eucharist is there. Yeah. Right. We're good. Right. But what I see it happen a lot in the, in the church is when a diocese will shuffle the priest assignments, mm-hmm. people will follow a priest very, very often. And you can do that if you want. I don't recommend doing that. I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a wise decision. Um, I think that you should stay, you should pick a parish and be more invested in the community there than you are in the Mm -hmm. priest who is shepherding you. Now that that's not to say that there might not be good reasons to leave. Mm -hmm. uh, If, if a priest for whatever is not, preaching or teaching Orthodox Catholic Catholic teaching, maybe for the sake of you, your wife, your the family, children. yeah, you do need to relocate, but otherwise... Exceptions. Yeah, yeah. those are... You, you have to do that. Otherwise, people will send us emails like, well, <laughs> know. you know, In I did situation. it because it's like... <laughs> right. No, I, I, I agree. But I agree. we actually, at my parish, well, recently in our eparchy, so I'm Byzantine Catholic, so rather than a diocese, we have an eparchy, and the bishop just shuffled the priests around. Mm-hmm. And... I was reflecting on 
how good it is for us for that to happen. And I loved our pastor before, and I love the pastor that we have now. We've been very fortunate. We've had two great ones. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really good for us to have that to happen periodically because, one, it reminds us that he is here to bring us the sacraments, and anything we get above that is bonus. Uh, But he's also here to serve our community. Mm -hmm. And it also helps us, uh, you know, appreciate him while he's here, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, but also know that, it, it's it's primarily the, the the function that he's serving in our parish. Mm-hmm. It's the sacraments. That's that's number one. That's the most important. It it helps stop it becoming a cult of personality. Right. Exactly. Yeah, and I think it helps with the humility of the priest himself as well. You know, to to remind himself, like I'm not the one doing this. It's Christ that's doing all. You know, guiding the church through me. So mm-hmm. it's not just me that's doing this. I think that I've heard I've heard priests say that before that it's it's good in that sense as well. Yeah, there are also drawbacks, you know, because sure. if you're getting a new priest every seven years or whatever, it's hard for them to really, you know, five years. Okay, now they're really <laughs> in the community, and so then two years later they leave, and you get to this new five year period where your priest is just trying to learn, get to know everybody, you know. So there are pros and cons historically. When you were assigned pastor of a parish, you were going to die <laughs> at that parish. You know, you were never leaving. And actually, in canon law, if you are assigned as a pastor, I think uh, canon law says that you uh, have the right to stay there for at least five years. If your bishop tries to reassign you inside of five years and you don't want to leave, he can't make you. You can actually wow. protest and go. There, <laughs> I did not know that. there is a court. You will you the a Vatican court <laughs> that you can take your concern to, and they will rule in your favor that you are granted the pastoral privilege or something of a five year stay if you are actually named pastor. Getting on the bad, bad side of your boss would not be. I know. <laughs> yeah, bold. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Just you know, you can do it if you want to. Let's talk about humility. Yes, you mentioned humility earlier, uh, and I'm really looking to Dave for some yeah. for some help with this one. Yeah, uh, a lot. So many people are really. I mean, <laughs> and I get it. I see why. Mm. You do? Yeah. Mm. He's insightful as well as hum- as humble. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to say why, but I, I do I do see. Okay. Uh, so Screwtape spends some time talking about humility, and the way he catches it is this: He asks one word, "Is your patient humble? If so." Have you drawn his attention to it? Mm-hmm. Because then he'll realize, oh, I'm being humble. That's a good thing. I'm doing well. I'm a good Christian. Yeah. And of course, as soon as the internal monologue starts heading down that route, humility just starts to disappear. And But he warns him, if this happens, he might catch himself. He might realize what he's doing, that he's reflecting upon how humble he is. And he says, well, if he does that, there's a danger because he might then stop. So what you need to do then is to point out to him that he's recognized that he was reflecting upon how humble he was. And that makes him really humble. Exactly. But he, he does say, you, you've got to watch it with this, because you can't do this too many times, otherwise he's just going to laugh at you and go to bed. <laughs> yeah. It's a princess bride move. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that this happens to everybody, and maybe I just think that because it happens to me. Mm. Um, but there was certainly a period in my life where I was coming back to the church, I was really taking my faith very seriously, taking ownership of what I believed and things, and uh, where I would look around and say, like, I probably know more about the faith than these other people, you know? And 
I wasn't, you know, they're not th- thoughts that you think, all right, I think I'm going to think about myself now in relation to other people. <laughs> mm, I think I'm better than you. <laughs> it just, you know, it occurs to you, just the demons or whoever, like, oh, here. Think about this some more. When once again, it might be true. Okay? And that's why it's dangerous because you can be taken away at first by this, like, oh, okay, well, maybe you are being humble. Maybe you are. Or but, were. <laughs> or were, right. Um, and it is, humility is difficult because humility is simply recognizing the truth about yourself. And, and it, it doesn't mean saying that you're stupid when you're actually very smart right. or ugly when you are you exactly. Know, beautiful. If you are, if you are talented at something, a truly humble man would would know that. Mm-hmm. That yes, I do have a talent. Um, but if you're humble, you don't tout. You know, and, and don't meditate upon it. Right. Lewis Lewis describes uh, the humble man. It's actually a misquote. It comes from Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. Mm. Um, that uh, humility is not thinking little of yourself it's thinking of yourself little or, or thinking yeah, less not of think of less of, yeah mm. and uh although that's not actually a lewis quote it's definitely his idea this idea that humility is mostly about self-forgetfulness you just don't so much think about yourself mm-hmm. because you're yeah you're, you're looking outwards mm-hmm. uh the the opposite of this the the latin phrase used by augustine and luther is incovatus in se and that's a soul turned in on itself it's when it's all about me and so, and it can begin in a good way with self-examination and self-reflection, but you, your soul eventually turns in on itself and you start disregarding the outside world because you are the center of your universe. Which is why it's so important to be a virtuous man, because the more you become virtuous, the less you have to worry about yourself and the more you get to worry about the relationship you have with God and the people around you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry, but you're not turning in on yourself to examine yourself. You already know, no, I'm, I've already taken care of this. I am, you know, you think you don't think this, but you are humble because you're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking more about other people. It's kind of like uh, if anybody out there plays the game, you just lost. Mm, why did you do that? <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot all about the game. I've been winning for so long. <laughs> So if people don't understand what I'm referring to, there is the game and the job of the game is not to think about the game. Right. And whenever you think about the game, you're losing, you lose and you reset. Mm-hmm. And humility is very similar. Right. And you're, you're supposed to announce I'm losing the game right now. <laughs> Dang it. And of course, you then ruin it for everyone else around right, you. Right. He's exactly. also playing the game. Exactly. But that's what that, that's what Screwtape does is he talks it, when he's talking to Wormwood, he's always just trying to twist the good. He's taking a, a virtue, he's taking something that is good and twisting it just enough to where it's no longer good mm-hmm. or an inversion of, of the good. Yeah, he generally doesn't care what choice the patient makes. It's just, okay, this is just going to be the raw materials that we're going to work with. Mm-hmm. So the book is set during World War II, and he says it doesn't really matter if your man becomes an, an extreme patriot or an extreme pacifist. It doesn't really matter we're just going to work with whatever he goes with and we're going to twist it such that it will lead him away from the enemy. In this case, God. For uh, We didn't say in this episode, everything is upside down in the Screwtape Letters. When he talks about the enemy, he's talking about God. When he's talking about our father below, he's talking about Satan. And anything that he says is good is actually bad and vice versa. Yeah, and he also, like, I, I remember, I'm going off memory here with, with Screwtape Letters. It's been a little bit since I've read it, but I remember... Wormwood gets so excited that, that the war is coming, you know, mm-hmm. and so like death is coming, you know, and so he's like all <laughs> excited, you know, like this is happening. And then Screwtape, if I remember correctly, he says, no, 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 
this is you fool. Do you not realize that people are realizing that they may die, so they're going to turn to repentance? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Remember in the previous episode when we talked about the path to hell, it needs to be slow and gentle, no sudden turns. Well, if you know you're going to be going into battle and there's a very good chance you might die tonight, you're going to be thinking about the big questions, the eternal things, and getting your soul right with God. Right. Not to mention, be forced to exemplify and live virtue. Mm-hmm. on the. I mean, the battlefield is... Where fortitude happens. Yeah, it's a forge for for virtue, many, many virtues. Um, It can be anyway, you know. So you could take somebody really evil who might have an act of heroism and redeem himself, you know. And and then might die, and he doesn't go to our father's house below. Right. All all this is doing is just speeding up some of the death. War can produce villains, but it can also produce heroes. Yeah, totally. You had a tough time getting here. (laughs) Yes, uh, I was uh, I was speaking in Grand Rapids. Uh, the uh, meeting finished about 10 o'clock. I then jumped in my car, drove to Detroit, had a couple of hours at the airport, and then caught a flight uh, originally to Dallas. And then I stayed in Dallas for quite some time because they got us onto the plane to come to Tulsa. I was going to be here nice and early. We were going to record this stuff yesterday. And we sat on the plane for the duration of the flight, but never left the ground. Uh, Which is the worst. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. Well, what was funny is that they said that uh, the engineers had had to fix something on the plane. Uh, they were just doing the paperwork. And then a little bit later, oh, they're having some issues with the paperwork. And then a little bit later, they're still having issues with the paperwork. It's like, do you need to borrow my pen? Yeah. <laughs> you, if, if it would help, you can borrow my pen. And then they took us all off again and uh, then booked me on a flight four and a half hours later. Needless to say, that one was late arriving and they were all getting ready to bring us back on and then nothing happened for about half an hour. And I was thinking, something something else has gone wrong. And yeah, apparently someone had driven one of the carts into the side of the plane and it had partially deployed the slide. So they were just putting that Which back in. Which is hilarious. And, yeah. I did, and I didn't even get to see it. Yeah, uh, that's the bummer part. <laughs> I can't believe that they would tell you that. <laughs> you know, like, I think I would have said, yeah, we're just waiting on something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just still waiting. I don't, they don't tell me, you know, I, I don't know. But like the, they would admit that, like we hit the plane, <laughs> it deployed. It's like, are we still going to get on it? Oh, we're yeah. putting you on the plane. Yeah. There's very little water between right, exactly. here and Tulsa. We'll be fine. We'll be right. <laughs> what, what Just try think? to sit on the left side. Yeah. That still has the slide on that side. <laughs> what do you think Screwtape would have said about that? I, I think he would have uh, he would have encouraged Wormwood or whichever demon is assigned to me. You want to encourage a sense of injustice in your patient, and and you do that by um, getting him to feel entitled. Because we feel real injury when we feel that justice hasn't been done, that we haven't been given something that we've been owed. So, you know, he would have, he would have said to me, it's like, can you believe that they're trying to inconvenience you like this? You deserve a You don't plane. deserve to be treated you, this you, way. Don't you deserve to get there on time? Do they know that you haven't slept in 24 hours? Right, and point? you paid for this I paid ticket. For it. Exactly. So the entire idea is, I feel entitled, and therefore I feel injured mm-hmm. when something inconveniences me. Whereas what I should do is just be, <laughs> I should think, well, do I want to go and fix the plane? Probably not. Do right. I want, do I want to take it take off in a plane that hasn't it still has the slide hanging off at the side? Probably not. It would be kind of cool to see that. <laughs> From the ground. From the ground. From the yeah. ground. Yeah. <laughs> but we can do that with so many different things. For me in particular, it's a question of time. And Screwtape also talks about this. He says you want the patient to think that the 24 hours of the day are his own. 
And anyone who takes any of that time, it's almost like they're stealing from him. Mm-hmm. And so but I, I had planned to have this evening to myself. It was going to be beautiful and quiet. I was going to sit with a book and a, and a glass of scotch. And now I have to go and help a friend move. But, but this is my time. What are you doing taking it? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. So the saints have this, I don't know, it, it's, it, you read it at first, it sounds insane, uh, their attitude towards this, but it's a holy indifference, you mm-hmm. know, where I care not if good things happen to me or bad things happen to me, only that God be praised in all of them. You know, it's like, oh, something tragic just happened to me. Thank you, God, for this tragic thing that just happened. You know, like now I, like, I love my suffering. It, it just, it's a difficult place to get to. I think it takes <laughs> a long time of a good prayer life and, uh, you know, working and working and working to to constantly stoke charity in your soul. You say it's a difficult place to go to. I don't think I've even visited. Yeah, yeah well, I've only read about it in like the brochure, you know. <laughs> sounds lovely. Right, it had St. Faustina's name on the cover. It's like, ooh, that sounds nice. <laughs> I can remember. I'll go there some, yeah, someday. Someday I'll, I'll go, I'll visit. right, yeah. Not today. Yeah. I, I can remember right after college and I, you know, I finally got a job and Dave and I were living together uh, we, we we were big kids now. We finally had big kid jobs, and but with money now. But with money, with, with, well, that's <laughs> well, that's kind of debatable. But we didn't have a lot of expenses. So it we, felt at the time we had like we had oh, some expensive yeah. income. When you when you don't have anything to pay for, you know, just so, beer. But I can remember we had these rituals coming home. You know, when we got home from work, we you know we'd we'd get our clothes off, we'd have our, our dress clothes off, we'd, we'd get our uh, beer, we'd have you know we had all these like rituals like this is what we're gonna do. And I can remember thinking, like, if anything inconvenienced me to get to that point of the rituals of, like, getting my tie off and, and being able to pour my first beer, I was upset about it. Yeah. I was like, what? No, this is my time. I've been working all day. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be able to do this. I don't want to. I don't want to have to help somebody else right now. This is my time. And this is, that's exactly what Screwtape was saying. Yeah. One time I was just Talk trying to leave the neighborhood. Okay, just I'm just trying to pull out of the neighborhood. And it just happened that, okay, you know, because I was trying to turn left. Here comes a gap in the cars this way. And as it's coming, I'm looking the other way, you know, is this, am I going to be able to get out? And there'd be like one car that came by real slow and made me miss. The, it's like, okay, fine. There's another one, you know, whatever. And I remember I probably sat there for two minutes, you know, which it's like just two minutes, but at the time it felt like a long. Time. And I remember actually getting angry, thinking and saying to myself, "I don't deserve to be treated this way." <laughs> and then hearing myself say this, you know, internally, and thinking like, "You stupid idiot!" You know, like, who do you think you are? It's not like somebody is out here. Person, it's not like there's a traffic dude here. Wait, no, you slow down. We don't want to let him out. We're trying to keep it. It's like nobody's persecuting me, you know, but just that I would feel so self-entitled, so worthy that I should be able to turn left. I think it would be good sometimes if our internal monologue was always said out loud. We would hear ourselves a little bit more often and realize how ridiculously petty we are. Although, even though I caught myself and realized, Dave, you're being really stupid, I was still, still angry. angry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know I'm being stupid, but I am angry. <laughs> it's, it's like when you have a, have, a, have a dream and one of your friends does something really horrible to you in the dream. Right. And you wake up and it's like, oh, thank goodness, that was just a dream. And yet, 
yet I'm still angry. Right. And then right. you see that person later. It's like, I can't believe you did that in my subconscious. How dare you, sir? <laughs> what? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Let's see. He, he, he also talks about, yeah, I was, I was wondering if how to bridge this, but he's also talking, he doesn't want you to think about today. He doesn't yeah. want to think the, the moment right now. He wants you to think about Screwtape talks to Wormwood saying, like, make him think about the future. Like, what's going to mm-hmm. happen in the future? Or what's hap- what happened in the past? Don't be concerned about, don't let him be concerned about what's happening right at this moment. Because that's the only thing you can change, right? That's the only time you can grow in virtue is, what am I doing right now? Mm-hmm. And it's also related to what we talked about in the previous episode about the will. Because you can will things in the present. You can affect change. Mm-hmm. And that's always dangerous for, for, for the demons. Uh, yeah, he doesn't want you to think about the past too much. The, the past is good for honoring, it's good for learning, uh, and it's good for remembering, but you don't want to live there. If Because if you live there, then you're going to miss the present and the future. You'll be, because you can't change the past, that's now set in stone. And he also says that the future, that's also a good place that you want to push the patient. And not insofar as being organized and making plans. I'm a type A person, I like things to be organized. Uh, no, he says what you want to do is for him to live in the future in that sense of uncertainty. Uh, the idea that you're thinking of all the things that could go, all of the conflicting things that could go wrong. Uh, that's where you want to keep him. You don't want him to be living in the present because when he lives in the present, he can affect change and exercise his will and grow more virtuous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the future doesn't even really exist. I mean, only the present is real. So, I mean, we can always prepare for things, but it is a little bit silly to think about the future too much. Mm-hmm. You want to be ready, be virtuous, but the only thing you can do is right now. Mm-hmm. But Screwtape speaks a little bit about how the right now changes. He calls it the law of undulation. He, he explains that everything in your life goes up and down as in terms of how you're feeling about work, kids, sleep, marriage, all of these things, they, they very rarely ever remain static. They, they have peaks and they have troughs. Yeah. And he tells Wormwood, at the troughs, that's when you've got to go for him, because that's when he's going to be weak. And I think particularly with all of the sins that men are typically prone to, you do it when you're tired, when you're stressed, when you're at, when you're at a low. Mm-hmm. Um, but our spiritual masters, people like St. Ignatius of Loyola, he says, you don't make decisions in desolation. When, right. you're, when, you're, when you're low, when you're tired, this is not the point where you make big changes. Right. And you shouldn't do it during periods of consolation either, mm-hmm. because... You know, if you're at a high point, you might have a tendency to overestimate either your own abilities or uh, think that, oh, I will be able to continue like this. And it's just never, what's the phrase you use? You prepare for your worst when you're... When you're at your best, you prepare for your worst. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Especially in the spiritual life, if you're, you know, battling sin, it's like, oh, I just went to confession or something. I feel great. No... Every time I leave confession, I say, I'm I'm never going to sin again. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to give it up. I'm never going to do this ever again. Right. And Five minutes later. Right. Exactly. And But I always thought, that's, that's it. You know, because you leave confession and you do have this clarity when you look at your sin and you just say, what? How stupid? Sin is the stupidest thing on the planet. I'm just not going to do that. But... That's because you don't realize how weak you are. Mm-hmm. It's this, it, C.S. Lewis does such a great job of understanding the psychology of the person in relation to sin. Because over and over again, he talks about 
uh, right before you sin, you know, build it up, build up the sin to make it seem so wonderful and like, or, or like everybody else is doing it. Why not I do it? And then at the very end, after they commit the sin, then it's uh, falling in, falling into uh, despair and like, how can, how can you, how, how could you do that? You know, and so it's just, it's, it's so funny, the psychology of mm-hmm. sin. It's, it's like, not that big of a deal. Oh, that was the worst thing. Yeah. You can never go back to communion ever. doesn't matter how many times you confess this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's amazing his insight, and especially without being able to, to go to confession. Uh, he actually did go to confession every Friday to an Anglican really? auricular confession. Yeah. Wow, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was it was a stable part of his spiritual life. So, the, so close, the so Anglicans, close. the Anglicans at the time <laughs> too Catholic had uh, um, apostolic succession. They had apostolic succession for a while. That that depends on who you speak to. I would actually say probably that broke much earlier because there had been reforms in the Anglican Church around the time of the Reformation to try and strip out the priestly conception of the vicar. And uh, I can't remember which pope he wrote. He wrote. He wrote. A, um, I think it was an encyclical about this, and he saw this as being a fundamental break with apostolic succession because their priests didn't really regard themselves as priests who were offering a sacrifice. Mm, so they never had the intent of becoming a priest. Exactly. Um, which it, you need. Yes, which you do need. Um, so uh, it wasn't quite like that. But the the point is that Lu- the Anglican Church of Lewis's time, it looked quite a bit different from the Anglican Church today. and Much there, more Catholic. E- yes, even for somebody that was sort of low church, as, as Lewis was, um, although he, he grew to appreciate more of the, the Catholic-sounding and Catholic-looking things over the course of his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, returning just to the, uh, the peaks and troughs thing again, Screwtape actually also gives Wormwood a warning. He says that the troughs are a particularly good time to attack, but be careful because that's also when the enemy, i.e. God, does his best work. Because he, he says that if, if you're patient, if a Christian is in a trough period, if he looks around the world and all trace of God seems to be gone, he seems to be abandoned, and yet he still chooses to love and serve God, we're in real trouble. Because that means that he's no longer running on feelings, it is just through his will. He is choosing to serve God, uh, like uh, like like Job. You know, the Lord mm-hmm. gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right. Yeah. You know, I just was thinking how brilliant it is to have written this book from this standpoint, from the standpoint of the demon. Because if you had written it from the standpoint of your guardian angel, for instance, it just <laughs> wouldn't work. Uh, it wouldn't be as you know, it's like, okay, what would the guardian angels be writing to each other? Remind him that he's nothing, <laughs> you know, and that it is God alone, you know, who who is his help and, you know, whatever. It's just like, it's just not as exciting of a, just from a story. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's It'd much, be harder to finish that book. And it was much harder to write because Lewis actually did intend to try and write both sides of the story. Oh, really? He wanted to try and write an angelic version. But in the same way that he said, in order to get into the mind of screw tape, it all had to be dirt and grit and grime. He said, if I was going to write it from the angelic point of view, it has to be nothing but beauty and purity and, and have a heavenly quality about it. Mm-hmm. And he just said, I'm just not that good a writer. I can't do it. <laughs> I mean, but really, it does serve much better, I think, being written being written this way. Uh, do, you, do you think there's any dangers to someone reading that, like, might someone read the book and then develop a fear of of the demonic he actually brings this up 
uh, early, early on, I think it's again in one of the prefaces, he says that there are, there are two errors that we can fall into, either disregarding the devil entirely, mm-hmm. uh, have that, that idea of the, of the point, pointy horns and a tail and a guy Page wearing four. red tights, right. yeah, uh, and just completely ignoring, ignoring the, uh, the demonic. And the other one is heading, heading obsession. He, obsession. Right. And, and, and giving the demons more credit than they deserve. It's, it's the, the church lady from Saturday Night Live. Right. Could it be Satan? Satan! <laughs> yeah. And actually, now I think about it, he does talk about this in one of the letters because he says we've, we also actually have kind of a choice as demons as to do we, do we make our presence more felt or less felt because mm-hmm. there are advantages to both. You know, we can either go with a skeptic or we can go with a magician. We, we can we can lead them in two directions. And actually, even Lewis in his life, he was very interested for quite some time in the occult. Hmm. When this was, so it was as he was deconverting from Christianity, he started developing a, a real curiosity about spiritual, spiritual, the spiritual world apart mm-hmm. from Christianity. Yeah. But he then eventually went the skeptic route. Did he ever have any like critiques of his own writing with screw tape? Did it, did he ever say anything about like I wish I would have done it this way, or if I had it to do over again, I would do it this way, or or respond to any, you know, critics about his book? Not that I can recall, or at least not that I've read. I'm sure there were some criticisms, but at the same time, it was also a very popular book. Mm-hmm. So I think, by and large, he received praise. It was more about people wanting him to write more of those books. And there have been other authors who have done done that. Uh, Father Dwight Longnecker, he's got the his Slub Gob. Mm-hmm. Um, no, was it Slub Gob? Uh, I can't remember the name, but he's written his own version. And mm-hmm. uh, years ago, when I first read this, I started trying to write my own, and I still have my notes. So one of these days, I'm going to do it. But I actually really want to focus more on uh, the Christian at church, because Lewis is only he devotes about two half chapters to the subject of the Christian going to church, and I think there's way more material there. Because mm-hmm. I have yeah. some, I have some of my worst, nastiest, meanest thoughts while I'm at church, surrounded by my brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, and in many ways. The demons, I think, it's like, oh, good. He's actually don't let him stop going to church. You know, mm-hmm. like keep him going. Just keep him in this, uh, you know, asleep, yeah. uh, spiritually sleeping while he's there. That way he can tell himself, I go to church. I'm doing everything just fine. I'm a good person. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that way, the, and if that's their approach, then they will very often take the demons don't exist. You know, oh, they don't want to... They don't want that person to feel their presence. You know, they just want to, that person to think everything's fine. I'm doing, I'm doing fine. Whatever. And just hope that he doesn't pay attention in the readings when it when it says not against flesh and blood do we do we wage war, or when Saint Peter says the your opponent the devil is like a roaring lion. So at that point, you need to fill his mind with what he's going to have for lunch. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, because when we we're talking about oh, do they exist or are they all powerful? You know. They do want one or the other. They want to convince you that either they're not real or that they are just as powerful as God mm-hmm. and that there really is, we call it a war, but it's really a war in ourselves. Um, the the actual, if you were to line up the two sides, there's no war, yeah. okay? The demons have no freedom. They, they could not actually even fight. Uh, Satan himself is a dog on a chain, and God says, you may go this far and no further. Satan has no power over God at all. Okay, so when we turn to him, we are not in danger of Satan. He cannot oppress you apart from God's will. Mm-hmm. And so that gets back to holy, uh, 
indifference. You know, maybe maybe it is God's will that I bear sufferings, you know, for the sake of salvation of the world. I mean, there are people out there who God chooses as holy victims to do that. But um, we just need to <laughs> remember that. I, I think very often people are confused about the satanic realm and what can what can it do? What can it do? Because if you think that it has more power, there is a tendency to become superstitious, mm-hmm. as if and not just a little stitious. Yeah, yes. superstitious. Yeah, mm-hmm. not just stitious. And like, oh, these statues, I keep them around me because they ward off the. As if in the statues themselves, there is mm-hmm. some power. You know, that's not the way it works. And I think the thing that can really help that with that is some good theology. The opposite of Satan is not God. Not even close. Mm-hmm. One is a creature, the other is the creator and ground of being. The opposite of Satan is Michael. And to remember that angels and demons are basically the same spiritual creature, yeah. just with their wills turned in one or the other direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one's really ugly. Exactly. How do they How do they find you? How do they get, get a hold of your podcast if they're curious more on Lewis's work? Uh, we are on most of the uh, podcast platforms. Just look for Pints with Jack. You can go to our website. Why, why Jack? Because... We didn't even talk about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pints with Jack. Why Jack? Well, Dave knows. I know. I do too, but... <laughs> so his, his real name is Clive Staples Lewis. Um, and in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, he begins it. There once was a boy named Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. Uh, so <laughs> it was, that was a nod to Clive Staples Lewis. Uh, from a very young age, he didn't like the name Clive Staples Lewis, so he wanted to go by Jack. It was named after after a, a, the dog that had died. His and, dog? Yes. Yeah. And so from, I think, about the age of four, he pointed to himself and said, Jack. And that was all he would ever, ever respond to. Uh-huh. So we named our podcast Pints with Jack because every Tuesday, Jack would go to the Eagle and Child and he was uh, would share a beer, talk to Tolkien uh, about their latest books. And so Matt and I do something very similar. So every Tuesday morning, we will discuss a chapter of a C.S. Lewis book. And so you can get that on most podcast platforms and also at www.pintswithjack.com. We also have a YouTube channel where all of our audio also goes up. Um, and that's and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram also at Pints with Jack. Pints with Jack. Awesome. Right on. Anything else that you want to... You good? No. So well, let me ask you this, just generally about, <laughs> yeah, I do, like, well, if you, the thing is, I can always come up with a question. Right. I mean, I'm an inquisitive person. If uh, someone says, all right, you know, the C.S. Lewis guy, he sounds pretty cool. Where should someone start with C.S. Lewis? I would say if you haven't read the Chronicles of Narnia, that's a great place to start. Yeah. Don't look down on them because they are, quote unquote, children's literature, the fantastic, fantastic writing. Yeah. And there is so much spiritual worth hidden there. Mm-hmm. Lewis understood that when we read a story, stories can sneak past our prejudice, prejudices uh, and we can actually receive more through those. So he, he talked about his books sneaking past the watchful dragons of our prejudices. And that's the point of a book, say, like uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm-hmm. We get to re-experience the story of Christ, but under under a different under different symbols yeah Although it's not allegory he was very specific about that he said it's an imaginative supposal he says it's, what it's not an allegory it's not an allegory it seems a lot like an allegory he, he says it's an, a, an imaginative supposal he says suppose that the second person of the trinity were to create narnia and want to come and redeem it 
what would that look like? Okay. And so he comes as, rather than Jesus of Nazareth, he comes as an Suppository? <laughs> what did you say it was called? An imaginative supposal. An imaginative supposal. It's, okay. a, it's basically a what if. Gotcha. So in Narnia, it's what, what, what if the second person of the Trinity became incarnate as a lion yeah. and, and went and created and redeemed a world of Narnia? I will tell you, it's impossible now for me to read Aslan's words without hearing the voice of Liam Neeson. <laughs> it's got a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty good. It's pretty good. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what they're going to do with the, because the, it's, it's been bought by Netflix. So we're going to have movies and TV shows of the Chronicles of Narnia in, in the next couple of years. Oh, man. Okay. But it might mean that they finally. It could be good. Could be good. Could be good. And they could finally finish the series. I'm not going to get upset yet. <laughs> but I reserve the right later to be upset if they don't do it well. Uh, but yes, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, I think, is a great place to start. If you want a little bit of apologetics, I'd recommend Mere Christianity. And okay. if you listen to season one of Pints with Jack, we go through that chapter by chapter. Yeah, yeah that was a good. I like that. My favorite book is The Great Divorce. Uh, again, we did that in season two. Uh, but uh, that one can be a little bit more complicated. If you like sci-fi, you can read his Ransom trilogy, Out of the Silent Planet, Perilandra, and That Hideous Strength. Honestly, he's written so much. You pick the genre that you like and go read that. He also wrote a, the, the seminal work, um, I think it's English Literature in the 16th Century, Excluding Drama. That's the, ti- that's the title. Terrible title, but um, he was... Excluding drama. Excluding I'm not drama. doing drama. Drama, not doing it. But if you're of a more scholarly bent and that might be of interest to you, okay. go ahead and read that. It seems like the book, like Take the Great Divorce... Uh, just for example, if you're going to read that, it would be very helpful to do it in a club, mm-hmm. something where you could discuss those things. But like a men's group, like yeah, like a, a like a men's group. If if you're saying like, hey, maybe you don't have time for that, or you just don't have it, there is a podcast you nice. could listen to, which is kind of like doing that. And we actually have had groups that have done a book group and li- assigned us as listening. Oh, as they've been going through uh-huh. it. And we have also had people reach out because they know that in our C.S. Lewis book, clu- book group in San Diego, we've gone through, I think, about seven of his books now. And I write down discussion questions and summaries and all that sort of stuff. So oh, I've, nice. sent, I've sent it to people when they've asked for it. Awesome. I like it. Dave, you've been a blessing. I appreciate it. You're welcome. A lot of fun. We've got a camp out to get to. I yep. have a lot of, lot of work to do still this morning. Yes, me too. Camp out, so. All right. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. You're welcome. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your mug. (laughs) This thing.